Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Inflamed Sisters Thriving Podcast, a safe space created to guide women living with chronic illness up to uncover their purpose by doing what they were meant to do, moving power by advocating for themselves in all aspects of life, and to strategically accelerate their growth in their health, career, and business. You will learn how to stop hiding and how to start thriving. We will inspire, educate, and motivate you as we show you Inflamed Sisters Thrive together always. And once again, welcome to the Inflamed Sisters Thriving Podcast. As you know, my name is Katina. I am your host, a registered nurse and chronic illness coach, who is also doing her best to create an environment where women living with chronic illnesses can finally stop hiding and start thriving. And today I have my amazing guest. Her name is Cheryl Crow. Welcome, sis. Thank and you. not the singer Cheryl Crow. I'm but... sorry. Yeah, no. I'm the arthritis Cheryl Crow. Yeah. Yes. Our, our um, inflamed sister who is certainly thriving throughout social media on and off of these social media streets. Can you please introduce yourself to us? Yeah. Hi, everyone. So yeah, as Katina said, my name is Cheryl Crow. I am 41 years old. I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 21. So I have had it for two decades now or 20 years. And um, I'm also an occupational therapist. And that is a healthcare field that helps people with disabilities or illnesses and health challenges um, function better in daily life and really figure out how to live life to the fullest despite whatever challenge you have. So it's a very practical um, profession, which I love. And that's why I kind of specialize in the arthritis realm in um, life hacks for daily life. But also um, my second passion in, in this arena is talking about, you know, the mental health aspect and coping. And I think a lot about, th I think about the word thriving a lot. So I love the name of your podcast and think about how, I love thinking about how, like, can we, can, how, how can we better cope with and accept what is, you know, happening in, in our lives, whether that's an unexpected flare up or something like that. So anyway, I'm already going on a tangent, but um, yeah, I run my own social media channels called Arthritis Life, and I like to share um, life hacks and talk to really interesting people um, with arthritis, just like Katina does, and just share our wisdom and celebrate how we can still live a great life with arthritis. Exactly. And you also have an amazing podcast too. Why don't you tell us the name of it? Yeah, thank you. My podcast is called The Arthritis Life Podcast, or it's just called Arthritis Life Podcast. And yeah, I mostly feature, you know, down to earth interviews with other uh, arthritis warriors, but also sometimes interview um, healthcare providers or specialists who can kind of lend their wisdom and help us um, understand specific topics in thriving with arthritis. So things like maybe, you know, I had someone on who was a yoga for arthritis expert or a rheumatologist. So it's been really wonderful. It's been so great to connect. And I definitely, you know, when I got diagnosed, there was no social media, you know, so I really felt like I was, I didn't know anyone my age with arthritis. So it's really exciting to me now to be able to just so quickly, right? You can just have a conversation and connect and not feel so alone in your journey. So that's been really fun. 
That's a beautiful thing because that does happen so much that people get the diagnosis and they don't, uh, they feel alone because they don't have access immediately to people like them um, who are their ages or in, are in different, you know, similar career fields or in similar um, stages and phases in their lives. Because sometimes people think of arthritis as, you know, an old person's condition. But that's not the case because, as you mentioned, you were diagnosed 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and likewise, for me, I've been having symptoms for more than 30 years um, since childhood. So it impacts so many um, people and various stages of life. And wonderfully, social media, now that it exists, connects us so much easier than it was in the past. And that's how you and I connected through social yeah. media. So make sure you find her on Instagram. We'll have all that information in the show notes. But what I wanted to talk about, Cheryl, is one thing I haven't heard um, is your personal journey. I've heard pieces of it, but can you tell me what was that um, your diagnosis story? Oh, yeah. I feel like I, I, I am still, you know, processing it, to, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I was a very, you know, healthy child, healthy teenager, you know, went to college, I was playing soccer, I was the captain of the college soccer team. And all of a sudden, when I was about 19 to 20, I started having what we were calling just a mystery illness. Like what is going on? What is, I, I had all sorts of really vague symptoms in different areas of my body. My eyes were really dry. My digestion was slowing down. Like I would eat two bites of food and feel like I was full. I was losing weight, but I wasn't trying to lose weight. I, I was disturbed by the fact that I was losing weight. So we went to a whole bunch of different doctors and I was told repeatedly, you're not sick. You're just anxious. You're just a hypochondriac. And that was really devastating because um, I knew in my heart there was something that you don't just get sick out of nowhere. Like something has to be causing this. And I knew in my heart that I wasn't faking it or looking for attention or a hypochondriac. So that was a whole long thing. I've gone over in therapy many times with my therapist because um, the experience, some people call it medical gaslighting or like, un I call it unintentional medical gaslighting because technically gaslighting is when you know that you're, it's an abuse tactic when you try on purpose to make someone question their reality. But I think in, in healthcare, it's really accidental. They're not on purpose. The doctors on purpose weren't trying to uh, like psychologically torture me by accusing me of being a hypochondriac and gaslighting me say your symptoms aren't that big of a deal, but that's the result that ended up happening. So it was still traumatic. And so, but the linear story, okay, so how did I actually get the diagnosis? So this whole time I had these mystery symptoms, I had one sprained finger, quote unquote, sprained finger. And I had some widespread, like very mild pain, but it wasn't even that it wasn't my main concern. So I didn't even mention it that often except for my sprained finger. And then after a couple years of wasting away, I went from like 130 pounds to 105 pounds. I was convinced I had cancer or something really serious because I just, I just was like, what is going on? My body felt so off. I did. I then woke up one morning and every single joint in my body was on fire. I couldn't on, I couldn't open my fingers out of a fist. And it was like, okay, this is a new symptom. And then the doctor at that point diagnosed me with rheumatoid arthritis. So that's the diagnosis journey um, in terms of getting 
the diagnosis and my emotional response to the diagnosis was ex extreme validation and relief. I felt really happy about having a diagnosis. I know that's not everyone's story, but there is a group of people who, if you've been told over and over again, you're not really sick, you're just a hypochondriac, to get the validity of the diagnosis can actually be a huge relief. But because I was so relieved that I finally got an answers for my pain and my um, body being so off, I actually didn't really digest the severity of the condition. I just was like, okay, fine, whatever it is, you're telling me it has a name and that there's medications and a treatment plan that might help me. I have hope now, this is great. But I think I might've been a tiny bit overly optimistic and maybe, um, you know, in retrospect, I didn't fully take the time to understand the disease. In a way, it was a weird form of denial, even though I completely understood that I had rheumatoid arthritis, I didn't really, under, I didn't really take the time to understand. Does that make sense? I didn't understand like yes, that it was truly it a chronic. Yeah. yeah. And I think for me, I had this um, similar feelings and I was happy to finally get validated to have a diagnosis. Um, and as a registered nurse, I understood what it was um, because I had helped to treat so many patients within the practices that I worked in and within the hospital for it. And I, the real reason I knew is because I also had a aunt who had been diagnosed many years ago when she was um, in her 20s with it. And she was diagnosed when there were no medications for it, when there was mm -hmm. no potentially even methotrexate at that time to really treat it. So she had a crippling form of um, rheumatoid arthritis in the sense that all of her joints had had started to have deformities and things of that sort. So I grew up around her and with her. So that's why as a child, I knew what rheumatoid arthritis was because I saw it in my aunt who had a severe case of it. And several of my aunts and other relatives had it as well. But I was happy to get the diagnosis, you know, to be yeah. told that it's in your head. It, I agree with the terminology unintentional medical gaslighting um, because I know that some health professionals don't like that term yeah. <laughs> associated with them because um, because there's no um, there should be no reason that someone would try to withhold a diagnosis from you but they no. also there should also be no reason for them to tell you that real symptoms you're feeling is in your head. So yes. a good middle got middle place. I like that Un unintentional medical gaslighting. Yeah. Like um, and as a health professional myself and you too, we we can we can understand the other side of it. Yeah. As well. Um, yeah. As well. But what a journey that yeah. you went through. I, you know, you have quite a story, sis, and you can <laughs> put that in a book. Is it in a book? Oh, I do want to write a book one day. That is on my bucket list. Yeah, but not yet. I don't have one yet. <laughs> She's not yet. Okay, because I was about to say I'm about to buy that book no. because I know there's a lot of juicy pieces in there that I'm mm -hmm. missing still too. So you, what? So that was your diagnosis journey for arthritis, and you have rheumatoid arthritis like I do. Now, what was your treatment journey like? Was it yeah. easy for you to get to what worked for you? So yes, I, it was easy for me to get on, a, on an effective treatment plan. And my doctor was so optimistic when I got diagnosed that I didn't realize that, that not everyone had this experience. I thought it was kind of like, okay, you get put on methotrexate. I got put on methotrexate 
And then um, I fast tracked onto Enbrel. Back then in 2003, you didn't have to do all this rigmarole of fail first um, of the cheaper meds. They just were like, we are actually going to be really aggressive with this because of my numbers and everything being so high. I mean, I can't even describe the degree to which my body was just in flamed. <laughs> um, and I was not thriving. <laughs> um, and so um, I, you know, I went into remission within like three months, like it was pretty textbook. But the thing that I wish I had known then is I thought that was just going to be my plan the rest of my life. I thought of it as a static plan not as a dynamic fluctuating chronic illness. So I said, this is great. Okay. I take my Patrexa, I take Enbrel, like it's a little bit of a pain with like refrigerating it and self-injecting, but I'll figure it out. And, you know, I'm 21 and I'll just take these meds for the next, you know, 60 years or however long I live. And, um, and I didn't understand that maybe my treatment plan might have to change over time until six years after my diagnosis. I had a really bad flare up and I was extremely confused because I was like, well, wait a minute, this is weird because I'm doing the same thing. I'm taking my meds, but I'm now I'm feeling bad. And my doctor had to have that come to Jesus moment with me where she's like, this is not linear. Like you, sometimes the medicine works for a while and then it might, your body might create antibodies to it, which I think is what's happening here. And then you're going to need to change course. And that was the time I actually really accepted that I had rheumatoid arthritis and then I grieved it. And I really didn't grieve it before because I think honestly, because I had such a positive fast experience with getting diagnosed and being put on a plan that worked really well for my body. So I felt very grateful, you know, and I was living a normal quote unquote normal life. You know, I was, um, playing, so I played soccer. I was, um, you know, swing dancing, traveling the world. It really didn't, profoundly impact my day-to-day -day routines. But since that, so this was 14 years ago. So since that period, I've been in and out of Medicaid remission and, but never as perfectly well controlled as that first six years. So I went on Remicaid um, and then I went, started occupational therapy school. I was pretty, my disease was pretty low disease activity during that. And then I got, then my husband, and I got married and we got pregnant and that was a plan. We were excited. I went off at the check site, got pregnant. And then, um, I went into complete unmedicated remission during pregnancy. Um, cause that back in this, this was 2013, the recommendation was to go off your meds if your body could tolerate it. And so, but the problem was then when I tried to go back on Remicade postpartum, I had it never worked as well again. So um, that's a whole other long story. So I had a really bad postpartum flare up and that was really hard um, to understand. Like, cause I don't, I didn't know what, I had never had a baby before, right? So a lot of times I'll be like, are you having difficulty finding pleasure in things that you used to find pleasurable? I was like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I have postpartum depression because I don't know if I previously had difficulty finding pleasure in this because I've never done this before. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, like too linear, but I was like, I think I'm having postpartum depression, but like, I don't know. So I ended up, it wasn't really depression. It was more like anxiety. Um, mm -hmm. um, so I, I ended up and it was manifesting as irritability, which I guess both depression and anxiety, you know, according to what I understand can manifest as irritability, but I just felt like I, every little tiny thing was putting me on edge and I ended up going to therapy. Thank goodness. Thank Thank you. Anyone who's listening who's a therapist, thank you. My heart yeah. goes 
you're doing the most important job in the world. And, um, so that really, really helped me. Honestly, I went to therapy for postpartum anxiety, but it ended up helping me with my chronic illness journey so much, you know, cause I, I was in, I kept thinking my disease is about to get better. Well, it'll be better. It'll be better soon. And my therapist helped me kind of say, well, you know, what is reality in the moment? Can you connect to your present moment in like a mindfulness sense and potentially even just acknowledge that this is hard? Because I, I, again, I almost had this toxic positivity. Like I recognized that I was going through something difficult mentally and physically, but I was like, it was almost like a form of reassurance. Like they call it reassurance seeking if you have like anxiety or OCD where like you're constantly like, okay, I'll just wash my hands and I'll feel better. Okay, I'll just wash my hands and I'll It's like you're seeking something you can do to feel reassurance, which is not bad if it's a small thing that actually works. But if you get caught up in that reassurance cycle and it's blinding you to your true reality, then that's not helpful. So um, I was kind of like, it's about to get better. The meds are going to work. And I wasn't really acknowledging that this actually was difficult. Does that make sense? So the therapy helped me a lot. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the truth is, I think honestly that um, all of us will eventually need or should see a, a therapist with the um, trauma. And because in some sense, unfortunately, in the world that we live in, some of us have endured or faced some form of, of trauma and chronic illness can be a trauma. It is a traumatizing experience because yes. Yes. it does require you to have that grieving process. We've talked about it. Um, I talked about it in the past about how you have to grieve for me, grieving the person that you thought yes. that you were supposed to be and what you thought you could have had. But then you have to um, start to see things in a better light in the sense of not being toxic positive, but in the sense understanding the reality is, no, I won't live be able to live life as I thought I could, but I can potentially have an even better life um, where I can still live a purposeful and fulfilling life. There are things that I can do now and that I understand now that I couldn't do before. For instance, the amount of compassion that I have for people now and empathy that it caused my illness caused me to have it um, as a nurse, you have a level of it as already to, to be a, a good nurse, but mm -hmm. to um, go experience chronic illness and long-term um, and chronic pain and chronic fatigue, you really start to see that there's um, that person is tired or not able to come or not able to join into certain activities and things, mm -hmm. not because they don't want to, but because they're ill. So you start when people do certain things, I notice for me, um, I start to see a bigger picture immediately. When yes. someone complains about someone, I'm the person who says, well, maybe you should consider that potentially they're going through this. And that's mm -hmm. what chronic illness gave me. It gave me that extra narrative in my head to understand people's pain, understand people's um what people are going through and be more forgiving um, mm -hmm. than I, um, I was in the past. And uh, that's a journey that I think my chronic illness, rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia and endometriosis for. Um, but I had to grieve first to get to yes. a level of acceptance. Um, let's talk about that. Yeah. Acceptance and commitment um, therapy. Let's talk about that. Is mm. that the form of therapy that you um, went through? Um, yes. And what, why, what, what makes you passionate about this? Well, and I, you're weaving in the, the language of ACT just in what you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. So 
I love hearing it. And yeah, so acceptance and commitment therapy is a um, approach that I actually went to a psychologist and a psychiatrist who does hour long therapy sessions. So I actually didn't know that before that psychiatrists can do that. But so both of them utilized a, a combination of different approaches, including acceptance and commitment therapy. It's also known as ACT, which is the shortening for it. So I'll probably just refer to it as ACT. But, um, you know, in acceptance and commitment therapy, it's known as like a behavior, it's a mindfulness plus behavioral approach. So the acceptance part is the first part. Now, the word acceptance, when you live with chronic illness and chronic pain, it's very tricky um, to wrap your head around. I mean, when my therapist first even just said the word acceptance, I was like, not interested. Like, no, my life is all about improving things. Like as an occupational therapist, we do learn like a balancing act between improving or remediating underlying problems and then working around them. But I'm like, why would I want to accept this? Like my point is to like fight rheumatoid arthritis or beat it, you know? And I think a lot of people have this idea that, okay, I'm looking at, at this, I'm on this hero's journey and the mountain that I need to climb and get around and get over is rheumatoid arthritis. And on the other side, once I've minimized my symptoms and eliminated this or that or cured it or healed it, then I can have a good life. But in acceptance and commitment therapy, the, the process, just to put it in a very blunt terms, is you connect to the present moment. That's the mindfulness part. And you allow it and you, you do accept it in the definition of acceptance in act is taking what is offered. So life is offering you rheumatoid arthritis. It's not offering you right now a life without rheumatoid arthritis. The day that there's a cure life's going to offer me something else. But for now, this is the present moment that I have. So you say, okay, this is what it is. And you actually allow yourself to look at that in the face and sit with it. And, and it seems like, wait, if something is difficult, why would I want to turn my attention towards it and allow it, right? And take it. No, I want to beat it away with a stick, you know? <laughs> but um, what's, it's, I call it like the acceptance paradox. It's so strange. And I still, I've tried to write about it. I have written articles about it or, you know, blog posts and talked about it. I still find it hard to explain this paradox where you would think that the more that you turn towards and look at your present moment reality, if your present moment is painful, intuitively, I would think that would be, make me feel worse, right? Thinking more about your pain, allowing your pain feels like it would feel worse. But what ends up happening in ACT, the important part is it's not just the present moment awareness. That's that's part one. That's the A. And then the commitment therapy part, this is kind of what rev the, turns transforms your relationship to your pain or your anxiety or whatever it is that's your challenge in the moment. You say, okay, this is here. Like this is what life is offering me is this pain. I'm going to take it uh, and, and see what is possible, what, what's you connect to your values. So the commitment part is like, um, what are, what's important to me? What makes my life meaningful? What brings me joy? What brings others joy? Um, like for me, it's like serving others, you know, how it creates a meaningful existence for me. And then you say, okay, can I take effective action? That's the T towards that's that aligns with my values. 
can I do something right now? Whether that's, I can send a card, I can call a friend, I can create a piece, a content piece, you know, a video. Um, there is, it, it, it makes you confront your current reality, but also see the possibilities of your life with pain, with arthritis. So it's thriving with rather than like defeating it or surmounting it and seeing it as a part of you. It's really fascinating. Um, and once I wrap my mind around it, like I said earlier, again, if you're listening to me like, what still? Like, why? Um, why would I want to accept this? I totally get it. It took me multiple sessions <laughs> with two different therapists to kind of understand it. But it's actually empowering because it teaches you, like, there's this phrase from an author I like, Tom Robbins. Um, he, he's, not the, he's not the inspirational. That's Tim Robbins, but um, he's a, he's like a fiction writer, uh, Tom Robbins. And he says that which you hold holds you. And it, and in my mind, it kind of reminds me of all the people who they hold so tightly to this idea that, well, I need to have, um, all my problems need to go away before I can be happy. I need to not have pain. I need to not, I need to manage all my symptoms perfectly. Then I can have a good life that is holding you. Like that's holding you potentially back from seeing the possibilities in your life as it is in the present moment, even if it doesn't get better. Um, and looking that in the face, look, even if your condition doesn't get better, um, you know, it's in a way, it's also like anti-ableist work, right? Because you're saying like, do only healthy, able-bodied people get to live a meaningful life? I don't think so, right? But a lot of us operate under that assumption. Well, I have to make it go away. Obviously, I have to make it go away because it's bad, because it's pain. Pain is bad. Pain is not necessarily what's keeping you from doing what you need and want to do to have a meaningful life. And it, I'm not, I will say this is a lot easier to do if you're in mild to moderate pain. I don't know if this is the most helpful approach for severe pain. Obviously you do want, if there's ways to ameliorate your pain, you know, we both, I'm, you know, have our pain toolboxes, right? You know, have their things to do, your lifestyle factors, um, and your physical tools, you know, I'm wearing compression gloves. I'm not saying like, I need to just feel hundred percent pain and like not, not do anything about it, but there's a power in acceptance and saying, I can tolerate this actually. So <laughs> long answer. Wow. So she is out here educating, inspiring, empowering, and motivating others to understand that arthritis is not a condition that requires you to give up on living a fulfilling life. And that's exactly the reason why I started my page too, is because I saw so many with chronic illnesses hiding in plain sight like me. Yeah. And going through the struggle alone. And oftentimes we don't even talk about the fact that we have chronic illness in common because many people don't talk about it. It was as if it was something to be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. So like while you're grieving, you also have this sense of shame that I have this illness that is like a monkey on my back that is going to take away all of the joy in my life. But that's not the case. Mm -hmm. It's a... Um, it can be a choice. And like you said, of course, it's a lot easier to say this when you're in mild to moderate pain, um, severe pain. But I've seen people in severe pain, including my mother, who still lives out a very purposeful life, doing the things that she enjoys, um, which she loves sharing um, and educating people about what the Bible teaches. And she loves 
doing going out of her way to help others um, to be happy um, and to if they need help, she's that listening ear for them. And she loves to travel. So she's going to find some type of way. If me and my husband are going somewhere, hey, y'all, is this for an anniversary? Can you can you take me along? Mm-hmm. Um, but the beautiful thing is, is that when I look at her and I look at people like my sister as well, who has lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, they're still um, fighting to live um, happy, fulfilling lives. And we um, that's what I want to model for others as well, like you do, that there is a possibility. Um, and yes, it's not easy. But do you want to give up? No, we pray that you don't want to give up. We want you to continue to stay in the fight and and strive to thrive with us until you're thriving. And Mm -hmm. thriving doesn't mean pain free, but it means for me being able to walk in your purpose, to do what you were meant to do, to advocate for yourself and to allow yourself to find success in all aspects of life that you desire. So, wow, you see what you moved, you pulled that out of me. Um, You you have a way of doing that. Um, Thank you. You too. Thank you. But wow, that was beautiful. So remember act. So is that acceptance and and commitment therapy? Um, And it is an official, it's not like a proprietary approach where like you have to be officially trained in it, but it is Mm -hmm. a psychological therapy approach that many um, counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, um, even occupational therapists, you know, use principles of it. I've actually gone, gotten trained in it. Um, and, and trained in just tips for using ACT as, as a clinician. And it's really, I think it's really validating too, to have people say like, this is your reality. Like, let's take a minute to just talk about what's actually going on here rather than trying to kind of reframe it, like from a like cognitive behavior standpoint. Now, cognitive behavior therapy, technically ACT is actually like, um, a subcategory of cognitive behavior therapy because, or CBT, which a lot of people talk about, um, because cognitive behavior therapy and ACT both start with the same premise, which is acknowledging that what you're having is a thought. So <laughs> I know that sounds like obvious, right? But actually in ACT, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't explain this part, but there's this process that they, that they teach you called um, def- cognitive defusion. It's like de F-U-S-I-O-N, meaning you unfuse yourself from your thoughts. A lot of times as we're thinking throughout the day, your thoughts seem real, right? Like I, I forgot my medication. I'm stupid. I made a typo this morning on my, um, on my arthritis life hack extravaganza. Oh, I can't believe I did that. You know, we have these thoughts and with act, you start, you stop for a minute and you say, this is a thought. You identify that it's a thought. And in cognitive behavior therapy, you also say, what are the thoughts I had, right? But in CBT, when you're learning reframing, you will say, is that thought, let's do some detective work. Is that thought real or not real? What's the evidence? However, in ACT, you don't actually care whether the thought is valid or not valid. Is it right or is it wrong? You just say, that's a thought. Thoughts are just internal stimuli. They're things that my brain is making up as I live my life. Um, and sometimes they align with reality. Sometimes they don't. But can I bring my attention back to the present moment and what's important to me? And what they call in, in ACT, Dr. Russ Harris calls that 
turning off the struggle switch. The struggle switch is when you struggle with your thoughts and you try to control them and change them. So, you know, a lot of times in, I've, I've seen a lot of people go through cognitive behavior therapy and say, well, that's, I'm catastrophizing. I'm making a mountain out of a molehill or I'm, you know, and it can be very helpful to understand when we're having what's called cognitive distortions, right? Thoughts that are too extreme and to recognize that we might have maybe a depressive explanatory style or an optimistic explanatory style where we habitually see things in a positive or a negative light. I'm not saying those things aren't helpful, but what's really refreshing to me about ACT is it saying, I'm not even going to struggle with this thought. I'm just going to acknowledge that it's a thought. <laughs> it's just there. Like, and I'm not going to get caught up in it or wrapped up in it and give it more attention and think whether it's wrong or right. I'm just going to say, ah, that's a thought I had. Like, it's like, it's like a radio playing in the background. And, um, and then you say, okay, well, okay. I had the thought that, yeah, I made a mistake. Um, I did a typo on the social media posts I made. Anyway, what can I can, what can I do now in the present moment, right? I can correct the, the, the error. I can give myself some self-compassion and be like, yeah, I'm a human being. Human beings make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I don't have, you know, maybe not have a delusions of grandeur and then move on with your life. And that, that's something that I find really helpful. I think, um, the thing I don't like about some of the traditional CBT kind of behavior therapy, again, is that sometimes people can get stuck on a cycle of negative self-judgment or endless, endless gathering of data about whether their thoughts are correct or incorrect versus just saying thoughts are just thoughts. They're not facts. They're just thoughts. And the same with emotions. So there's like a radical self-acceptance that goes along with it. Like, I'm just a human being having thoughts in my head. Like, that's fine. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, it makes sense. And I love the journey that you've taken us on in understanding ACT and also how it applies to those of us living with chronic illnesses, how this can really help you to have a better outlook in life. Um, despite the challenges that you're facing. Um, we often think of, like I mentioned before, toxic positivity, but there's also toxic negativity too, because mm. if we sit too long in negative thoughts, it can impair our ability to heal mentally, emotionally, and physically. Mm -hmm. So it's very important for us to um, utilize techniques like ACT or mindfulness to find ways to uh, allow ourselves to think more positively. That's a dose of anti-inflammatory medicine when we yeah. actually think more positively rather than negatively. And then understand the circumstances we in, we're in and learn how to work within those circumstances to still thrive and live healthy, happy lives um, as yeah. healthy as we can. So I, I yeah. love that. I, that was quite an amazing um journey you've taken me on. I'm like, I've got to read a book on this now. Oh, um, <laughs> yes. I can give you some recommendations. My favorite one is The Happiness Trap by Dr. Russ Harris. Uh -huh. And it's like The Happiness Trap, How to Stop Struggling and Start Living a Guide to Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Um, it's really, really helpful. Yeah, I I love it. Because it's even like just being neutral about your thoughts or your reality. Not, not positive, not negative, just neutral. Like, yeah, this is just stuff happening. I'm just, I'm a little human being on this giant planet. And, you know, it kind of gives you that perspective, like, 
Um, so anyway, I'm, thank you for being receptive. This is my favorite thing to talk about. So yes, no, <laughs> listen, let me tell you something, Cheryl, whatever you love to talk about, you are free to talk about with oh, me because I you. love your you're energy, great. especially when you're, um, when you, you are passionate about amazing and things like you're a person who is um, very selfless, um, oh. selfless, L-E-S-S. You are really... <laughs> Yeah, you are no, really yeah. concerned about what you can do to help others. And that's what I love about you. And this is what others need to hear. And it's the mm -hmm. first time I've had the opportunity to talk about it. It's so, so great. I love that we have the gift of time today that we get to talk <laughs> with. I know you're very, very busy. Um, so I appreciate the opportunity to chat. Yeah, with it's it's um, been amazing. And that's what I've been wanting more time to actually talk with you and to also um, have, the, you know, have these type of conversations because it's actually introducing to me to whether while my mind um, and I, I think in these areas, um, it's not something that I assigned an actual type of therapy to, a, mm -hmm. you know, I like act. So we definitely have to, um, I can't wait to put this out to share it. So Yay. acceptance, commitment, therapy. Um, yeah. And then, um, so we've talked about acceptance, commitment, therapy, how that relates to chronic illness. We've talked about your personal journey, your diagnosis and your treatment journey um, for your arthritis, your rheumatoid arthritis. But what we haven't talked about is cysts. Tell me all the things that you are doing in oh. these um, social media in and off these social media streets. You just made an announcement recently. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I am hosting a um, basically a two day celebration of arthritis life hacks. It's called the arthritis life hack extravaganza. But we do we are going to talk about way more than just the basics of arthritis life hacks. So we're going to also talk about mindset and lifestyle. And it's just a time to come together and celebrate what we can still do, ways we can still function with inflammatory arthritis. And um, I just announced the registration for that. It's open. It's a free event with an option of like a VIP ticket. And that's February 4th and 5th. And it's all virtual. Um, and that's on a weekend. So Saturday, Sunday. So if, um, if you go to or I think you'll have it in the show notes, but it's bit.ly slash arthritis life 23, all lowercase is my little shortcut for that. Mm -hmm. And I do also run like a few times a year, I run this, um, basically it's an educational support group program for small groups of people living with inflammatory or rheumatic diseases called Room to Thrive. I think we both love that word thrive. Um, so, mm -hmm. and that is, the doors are going to be opening for that again in February to start in March. And it's a three month program where we meet every week. And I um, will be, I teach some lessons on things like tools for pain and fatigue and you know, coping skills and logistical skills of like tracking symptoms, all the little things like the job skills of being a chronic illness patient. And then we also have time to connect in a small group and have a support session where we celebrate the things that are going well and help people problem solve and um, around things that aren't going well. So I'm really, yeah, I've, the, the pandemic has, you know, been, um, in, in a weird way, it's, I just started arthritis life in 2019 and the pandemic has allowed me to kind of like pivot towards more of an online model than I was thinking about initially, but it's just been really great. I mean, I know you just, you, you know, I were talking earlier about your inflamed sisters thriving conference, but it's just been, or our summit, but it's been amazing to just, I feel so connected to people all around the world right now mm -hmm. that I don't know without the pandemic, would I have 
turned so much online. So, um, but last thing I, I guess I'll say is I do have, you know, I have, uh, I do a lot of um, short form videos on, you know, TikTok and Instagram and uh, really I probably should organize myself a little better, but it's really just whatever topics um, I think are, I'm, I'm passionate about and I want to help people with in the moment. Sometimes it's a product demonstration or life hack. Sometimes it's a mental health tip or pointer or coping tool. Sometimes it's a simple like, hey, here's something you might not know about rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and also, I do also focus sometimes on just for fun and humor content because I do think that um, as Viktor Frankl said, he's a Viennese psychotherapist who survived the Holocaust. He wrote Man's Search for Meaning. He said humor is one of the soul's weapons of self-preservation, which I think that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful phrase. I think about that a lot. So I do also some funny videos and dancing videos and just try to, again, embrace kind of a vibrant, joyful life with this condition, despite the ups and downs, despite you know, I will have pain, you know, most days, but I'm still um, celebrate what my body still is able to do. Um, so it's been really fun. I would love, yeah, if, if anyone wants to connect on social media, um, please feel free to do so. It's I'm, I'm like a super extrovert. I did a uh, the Myers-Briggs test at one of my former jobs and my boss was like, you are literally the most extreme extrovert I've ever worked with. <laughs> Can you tell? It. Is that surprising? Catch her on TikTok, y'all. Catch her on Instagram, <laughs> in the reels, um, all over the um, there. You will see that she is. I am what people don't usually see about me. I'm actually an introvert, mm. uh, but I um, am able to function in an extroverted way. But yeah. I'm really a person who is very much so an introvert. So I had to stretch myself to even create a public Instagram page a year and a half ago and then wow. to um, to continue to do things like on the community level. And I learned that I do get fulfillment through these type of interactions. But no, I'm, yeah. I'm I really I document um, as an intro. Well, I'm like that person who's in the I'm an introvert, but mm -hmm. I have a I, I fall right in the corner where I, I get a I have a touch of extrovert. Like yeah, um, yeah. tendencies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's um it's yeah, but I, I love being around your energy. And that's what um actually um brings it brings me joy. Um oh, so I I appreciate everything that you're doing for the our community that you're um out there telling us the best products to use and the best um techniques to use to feel better and then how to utilize act to yes. um, improve our experience with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, you are just doing amazing things. And I look forward to your events coming up. Yeah. I hope to be able to, um, to I, I would actually, I'm going to join. Yes. Um, your event yes. As well. Come on down. <laughs> yes. We'd love to have you. But um, the other thing I'd like you to do is just leave us with where we can find you. Yeah. Yeah. So my website is, um, if you just put my arthritislife.net, like M Y and then arthritislife.net, it redirects you to my website. The actual domain is arthritis.theenthusiasticlife.com. Cause you'll love this. And uh, that is the domain I got the enthusiasticlife.com <laughs> a long time ago. Um, for my first blog in 2009, 
And then I was, um, I made a subdomain for arthritis life. So anyway, the enthusiastic life, I do really, that is a core value for me. It's just being enthusiastic, being excited about things and excited about life, even with challenges that I didn't expect to have, you know, when I was 20. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram as arthritis underscore life underscore Cheryl, spelled with a C-H. Um, I unfortunately did not get the same domain thing in or handle and everything. Like every single one of my social medias is a different handle because I didn't know when I was starting. So I have a YouTube channel and also TikTok is just arthritis life. Um, and those are where I'm most active at Twitter. It's real CC, like R-E-A-L-C-C, but, um, and I'm on Facebook as well. So <laughs> anyway. Let me tell you something. She, um, those who are engaged in social media strategy and all of that, um, she yeah. is the proof that you don't have to have everything in one place because she's out here thriving in the social media street. She has amazing communities on all of those outlets. So please go and check her out and follow her. Um, you will not regret it. You will actually oh, be enthusiastically you. happy about this arthritis life hack. That I, I, feel, I do. And this is just me. Sorry. Randomly <laughs> responding. But I do feel like sometimes people are like, why is she so excited to have arthritis? Like, I know that it can be off putting because I feel that way when I'm really fatigued, I will look at some of my old content and be like, stop smiling lady. Like, you know, so it's, <laughs> it's okay. If you're not hundred percent resonant with my content. Even my, I am not always in the mood to see what I'm doing <laughs> or what I've done, but, but yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. I do try to, you know, I think it gives people hope, you know, to see that you can still have, have a good life with this. And, and I mean, you're doing yeah. the exact same thing. So thank you for all of your work. Thank you. And there's nothing wrong. I think what you're, to me, your excitement when I see it is about actually educating and helping yeah. others. That's what Thank I think. You. It's like, I've learned this and now I'm just so excited to share it with you. So that's what I love about it. And that's what I see. So I, it always makes me smile. And I'm always like, I got to talk to her so that I can get, <laughs> uh, you know, get infused with that energy. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> we've had such an amazing conversation and you know, that means you have to come back because we all yeah. have great conversations. So what I want to do is leave my audience as I always do. And that is by saying my sisters, we may be inflamed, but we are still here. And as long as we are here, we might as well thrive together because inflamed sisters thrive together. Always take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.